Hi, I'm Nicola Merrifield, Premium Content Editor at Campaign, and welcome to the Campaign Podcast. I'm standing in for Arvin Hickman this week while he joins the great and the good of Adland at the Cannes Lion Festival of Creativity. Speaking of which, that's the first thing we'll be discussing in this week's episode. Which campaigns have come away with some of the early prizes in the first few days and what else has been happening in Cannes? Then later on, we'll be looking at the creative genius of Andy Warhol, who is the subject of one of our features in the summer issue of Campaign magazine. For all that, I'm joined by Campaign's reporter, Shauna Lewis, data journalist, Jamie Rousseau, and features editor, Matt Barker. Hi, everyone. Hello. First up, let's turn to the event no one can ignore this week, Cannes. Prizes will continue to be given out as the week goes on, but at the point of recording this episode, we've had just two days of awards. And we've picked out some of the campaigns we particularly liked. Last night, the UK got its first Grand Prix. Abbott Mee Vickers BBDO won the Grand Prix in Industry Craft for its Hope Reef for Sheba. Shauna, what did you think about this campaign? Um, I thought it was really smart. I think um, I think it was also like purposeful as well. Um, so it's the it's for a premium cat food brand, and. Um, they built a coral reef in 2019. So it's been ongoing for three years now. What I enjoyed about it was, I think I enjoyed that it had been going on for three years. It wasn't kind of showcasing the fact that it had just built something. It was that it had shown the fruits of its labor over three years and how it's genuinely made a positive impact on the environment. It's inspired a little bit by Seaspiracy, I think. And Although, like C3C promotes the idea that we need to end commercial fishing um, to like help the oceans, it also looks at the alternative that you know, like human interference in like helping to grow ecosystems um, can help as well. And it also fits in very well with the brand in that it's for cat food and cats eat fish. Um, so <laughs> uh, it kind of, I think it fits slots very nicely into what the brand is for. Uh, so it doesn't seem like forced. It doesn't seem like stage. It like actually fits in with what they're about. Um, and it has genuinely made a positive impact on the environment. Um, so it's kind of, you know, less talk, more do. Um, which I think Alex Grieve, I, I looked at, oh, Sarah Nelson reported on it earlier this year. And Alex Grieve was quoted in her piece, who was the creative chief creative officer at AMV BBDO at the time. And he said... At the beginning, there was some slightly torturous poetry before we realised that if you really want to solve a problem rather than talk about about it, you must have an appetite to try and act. And I think that's what they've done. I think it's great. Fab. And also, did I read that? So we could also see the coral reef from outer space, right? So they've they've um, crafted it into a, the, the word hope. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which I think is also a nice touch as well. I think for me that probably. I think I enjoyed the that impact of it rather than like the kind of message of like hope itself. But I, yeah, that was like a nice touch to add to it as well. Thanks. And then the other um, Grand Prix uh, for the UK was RGA London's uh, Nike Sync app. Uh, that was one that I yeah find really striking. It's a campaign promoting Nike's app that helps women sync their training to their menstrual cycle so they can optimize their energy and performance. And the visuals on it are really striking. It's a red color. Um, it's been used on social and in the app. And it's obviously something that, you know, really is talking to women in a powerful way about uh 
something that they have to go through <laughs> regularly. So that was a really great one to see as well. Another one that a Grand Prix, uh, been a different category in entertainment, went to a tongue-in-cheek documentary-style ad by McCann Stockholm. Um, the campaign is called Eat a Swede, and it was for the Swedish Food Federation, uh, highlighting sustainability and providing food to the world's growing population. Jamie, uh, being a vegan, I imagine this campaign chimed with you. What did you think? Nicola, this Eat a Swede campaign really threw me for a loop, not only because it was 18 minutes, but because I'm still not 100% convinced it's not totally real, which I guess is the beauty about it. It was a little less beanie burger and a little more human burger. Um, so many people are calling it a mockumentary, but like I said, I have no clue. Um, it's certainly a new and interesting take on raising awareness around food sustainability. And like you said, the ever-growing demand for food due to growing population. Um, I think with that ethos in mind, the film was definitely intended to make viewers feel a little uncomfortable and uneasy. But, you know, the, the main thing was, hey, we're running out of options here. What's the next thing we can do apart from eat a sweet? And um, what, what are the options for other than eating somebody? <laughs> well, I guess the, the main the main part of the film was they you know showcased the intro video to many people that that came into the studio and said you know this is this is the film this is what we're thinking of doing and quite a lot of people were taken aback they were like okay hold on you've got a burger frying and you're saying eat a swede but I'm not entirely sure what you're talking about and they explained that they would use human cells to create this lab-made meat patty so it wouldn't necessarily be human meat where people could say okay this is cannibalism but rather the cells from humans but still you know anyone that saw that intro video with within the the mockumentary were they were not convinced at all and in fact some of them got up and left they thought this is just this is just too weird and when faced with the option you know would you rather eat this pig or would you rather eat the swedish actor Again, they were quite taken aback and didn't really know what to say. Um, like I said, it went on for about 18 minutes. I don't think there was one person in that film that was convinced that eating a Swede's the way to go. But I, I guess that wasn't really the point, was it? You know, towards the end, they had said that they created a website called eataswede.com, which was part of the campaign and there's a lot of information in it on how you know we can shift from sustainable food production and i think it's definitely something that people should have a look at there's a lot of information on there a lot of resources and the video is in it as well yeah sounds like a novel way of approaching a, another sustainability issue um so at, at can there were also film craft goals for channel four and four creative superhuman and Burberry's Open Spaces by Megaforce. Then we've had other um, awards coming on. So the, in the Outdoor Lions on Monday, um, Adidas's Liquid Billboard by Havis Middle East won the Grand Prix. Um, that was also discussed on the podcast last week and tipped by Lira Burnett's Chaka Sabani and her predictions for campaign. So Shauna, um, what was it about this outdoor campaign that, that really struck you? Um, yeah, I thought this was super smart as well. Um, I, I think it's quite... In obviously completely completely different topics, but um, in the way that it kind of fit in with the brand and stuff like that, in the same way that Sheba fit into its own brand, I think the Adidas's like liquid billboard was very like 
poignant for its own. Um, so it was essentially a kind of swimming pool that women could get into and, you know, people could see. Um, because like in the Middle East, cultural sensitivities mean that women are like three times more as likely to say they're uncomfortable swimming in public. You know, it's not it's not something they're comfortable with. So it was kind of just a billboard to say, to kind of like destigmatize that and kind of make it stand out in people's minds. It was really clever. Thanks, Shauna. And then uh, the UK sadly only managed one line in the outdoor category, a bronze for Adam and Eve DDB's chill boards. Um, that was a campaign for drinks brand cause like, which the agency worked on in partnership with DDB Chicago and Nord DDB. Jamie, how did this out of home campaign work for you? What, what was it that you think went well or maybe not so well? I mean, a lot can be said around global warming, right? No one is trying to create miracles, but any little helps. And that's exactly why I like this Cause Light campaign so much. With a bucket of white paint, they essentially helped many communities tone down the heat during the summertime. Not only that, it raised awareness, helped spread the message. And, you know, not that we can't all feel the effects of global warming ourselves, but the heat in the ad was quite palpable and quite literally bounced off the screen, which is incredibly effective and, you know, effective and drives the message home. They also showed, which I thought was quite interesting, was they also showed the before and after, what it was like when they painted versus when they hadn't painted, and the temperature dropped dramatically um, compared to when it was a plain black roof versus when it was a white roof. And the the whole idea around chill boards is quite funky and it's just it's just quite simplistic marketing, genius simplistic marketing. And they had the whole, you know, ads that nobody can see, but everyone can feel. Got a little uh, pun in there, which is, yeah, it's, it was a winner for me. Great. And again, we've just so many of these campaigns have got, uh, you know, a message, a strong message coming through in them. Um, so in another category, we, we also had um, Ogilvy London's toxic influence campaign when in the entertainment group. That was for Dove and they scooped the gold prize. This was about uh, advice young women are exposed to by influencers online. Shauna, what did you make of this campaign? I think this was really brilliant. Um, I remember reporting on this one, thinking it was super clever at the time. Um, like I know amongst my friends that we discuss the impact of social media a lot and we always, you know, dismiss it and like say that it's bad for us. But I think turning that conversation to one with like your your mum or like, you know, if it, it might even be just a guardian figure, um, makes it much more impactful. Um, because especially with, you know, the that like influence that your mum can have on your life and the role of like a caregiver, um, actively showing like, like mothers that I think just makes it a really drive the message home a lot more. So the ad essentially just to establish it, um, it sat pairs of like mothers and daughters down and showed them like what influencers were saying to their daughters online um but then slowly turned into uh deep fakes of like the mum saying the exact same thing and kind of made them the pairs like think about how how impact how bad is this really if if your mum would say this to you you would it wouldn't be right but you're listening to influencers say it every day and you, I think what was so clever about it was you saw a brand change people's perspectives in real time. It didn't wait for social media. It didn't wait for that audience response. It, like you saw people on the day 
uh, be like, oh yeah, that's actually, that's not great. And I think as well, like the use of deepfake te- technology was super clever. Sometimes I think when ads go into like, you know, start venturing into like augmented reality or like really clever tricks, it can sometimes feel like a bit forced, but this felt really, you know, needed and necessary to make, to drive the point home. Yeah, I thought it was really deserving and yeah, really good message. Fab, so many campaigns with um, really powerful messages to them. Um, But moving on, aside from the prize giving, there's been lots of other activity at Cannes. Being a high profile worldwide festival, it's a place for attracting attention on global issues. We had Ukraine's president, Volodymyr Zelensky, appearing via video link on the first day, imploring delegates to use creativity to help the country win the war against Russia. Matt, I was wondering, what what did you make of the message that he gave? It was very powerful. Um, to be sort of too coldly analytical about it, I think it was also intriguing, this, this whole idea that the changing roles of creativity during times of conflict and war, I think... In the past, it's always been about the dark arts of propaganda or, you know, tonic to the troops, keeping people's spirits up on the front line or whatever. But now, I mean, tallying with this whole idea that we've seen over the past few years about issues around purpose, around having a trusted voice in, in, in times of fake news and so on, what Zelensky was doing was, was basically calling on brands and creatives by extension to sort of get involved uh, and, and to sort of have this trusted voice in there in, in place of uh, traditional media that can sort of combat what's coming out of Russia, the images that are coming out of Ukraine. Um, there's other stuff going on as well. I mean, he was, he was talking a lot about promoting Ukraine as a brand, which I thought was fascinating, really. He's a fascinating character. But he's full of sort of PR now, and obviously that's he's got a TV background and so on. Um, but he's really stepped up as a, as, a, as a fantastically impressive leader who's kind of really in touch with the way modern media works. And I think this tied in with that beautifully well. Yeah, he's really he's really ensuring the message gets out there and it needs his yeah, his persistence and um his leadership is incredible. Not too dissimilar to that in a way. We also had um other kind of political issues taking place. So on the first day, the opening ceremony, um a former Cannes Lion Award winner took to the stage to protest ads promoting fossil fuels. Um Sean, I wonder if you could just explain what happened. Yeah, so this was uh Gustav Martner. Um it was at the festival's opening ceremony um, and he took to the stage and he was protesting ads promoting like fossil fuels um, and his sign said, no awards on a on a dead planet, ban fossil ads. Um, so to give you a bit of context about Martner, he founded his own agency, Daddy, in 2000 um, and his like clients have included... Um, like Volkswagen, the car manufacturer, and he actually won his first line for that in 2015, which was just before the the, the Dieselgate scandal. Um, so he's got his own history with, um, you know, promoting uh, fossil fuels and things like that. So obviously, he's done a bit of a 180 um, and and changed his mind <laughs> quite clearly. Um, but yeah, it comes as so. There's 40 organisations at the moment that are pushing a European Citizens Initiative petition, uh, which is calling for a new law that bans fossil fuel advertising and sponsorship in the EU. So it's very poignant, very relevant, especially as we're all talking about climate change. Um, And obviously there's people in the audience who, you know, there's agencies in the audience who have, you know, airlines and and like car brands as their clients. So I suppose it's the most direct way of 
of facing the issue and and then greenpeace as well so he's now the head of creative at greenpeace nordic i think it is and that they claim that since the paris agreement in 2015 like at least 300 awards have been given out in cans to ads pushing for air travel oil companies cars and things so it's a very relevant audience that he presented it to and i suppose it kind of directly uh forces them to look at their own seems like a strong word but like hypocrisy um because a lot of them do have policies around you know uh and sustainability and are like pushing initiatives for it whilst also you know and going maybe going for b corp status whilst also advertising for brands that are airlines are car fast fashion brands um so it's a very pertinent way of doing it and hopefully hopefully made an impact yeah, it's certainly one of those issues that the ad industry is going to continue to grapple with for a while. Um, so yeah, seeing it seeing it there at Cannes is, like you said, very powerful. Um, so anyway, leaving Cannes to one side, we're, we're now actually going to return to the fantastic latest edition of Campaign Magazine. And this one includes a feature on Andy Warhol. Matt, I uh, wanted to speak to you about this as you wrote the feature. Um, and other than being a big fan of Warhol, um, I wonder what made you want to include the piece in this particular issue, which is one focused on creativity? Well, there's been a lot going on with Warhol this year. We've just had the uh, record auction figure of $195 million. One of his Marilyn paintings uh, was sold, I think it was in May, wasn't it? So, yeah, just last, still last month. Um there's a Netflix documentary based on these diaries, which is which has been hugely successful. And I think for people of a certain age, which I include myself in, who sort of grew up with Warhol as as being this sort of aloof um, arch figure, it, it showed a, com- a completely different side of him. Um, Somebody who can be quite sort of lovelorn and, and sentimental and all the rest. It was which was quite quite a shock actually. Um, so he still remains this this hugely influential figure. What I wanted to do with the piece really was unpick this idea that there's this smooth line between Warhol's work in advertising in the 40s and 50s into all the pop art stuff in the 60s that we all know and love. Um, as with most things uh, Warhol related, it wasn't really that simple. First of all, he he was he worked in advertising, but he was a commercial illustrator. So he, he was he would basically, I think his first gigs were sort of illustrating uh, pieces, advertorials in uh, Condé Nast titles like Glamour. I think that was one of his first ones. But he would do stuff like record uh, covers and, and, and stuff as well. So he was basically being told what to do, which he said later on. I think he actually said it in his diary. He, he enjoyed that. He loved the idea of just being told what to do and he would do it. There wasn't much sort of thought process involved. So this idea that he he sort of then went on to sort of screen print Coca-Cola bottles, soup cans, whatever it was, was a natural step from advertising. It wasn't it wasn't quite true. I interviewed a guy called Blake Kopnick, who's written the most recent biography of Warhol, which is just called Warhol. Uh, I think it's just come out in paperback. And he was really good on, on this whole idea that Warhol would would use advertising, the language of advertising, but he would he would codify it. And a lot of the time he'd be talking about sexuality and in particular homosexuality, which in, in the 50s in New York, uh, and into the 60s as well, was still, you know, it was still really buttoned down society. So you had to be very secretive about these sort of things. So that 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 was fascinating. But he was also at pains to sort of point out that that Warhol didn't particularly enjoy the advertising world. Um, and a lot of what he was doing was a critique of it um, and a parody of it as well, I guess. 
It's interesting. So if he's, if yeah, he's, there's this kind of like slight friction with, with the and industry. So I wondered for any, um, you know, creatives that are reading this piece and thinking what, what is the enduring legacy of Warhol's work for someone working in the sector now? Well, I mean, sadly, it still tends to be these sort of screen print cliches that you get everywhere. Uh, I, I noticed a certain fast food giant was doing one uh, the other weekend. Um, they can look a little bit tired. I mean, it's fascinating. It's a bit like Basquiat as well. Everybody can sort of do uh, versions of it, but they, 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 they can't capture it at all. There's something about the line in a Warhol, the fact that it's it's sort of slightly off the way the screen prints work. Everybody sort of, if you're doing a parody of one, you, you tend to do one too correctly, and Warhol's one were always a little bit, a little bit sort of messy. Um, I guess more positively, it's the power of imagery and, and the power of how you can use colours uh, and a strong visual identity, something that can cut through, uh, something that has a dis- sort of deceptive simplicity about it. I think that and that confidence, I, I, th- I think that's probably his, his greatest legacy, his biggest influence on the industry, if you like. And you've already mentioned that one of the things that you learned from watching the documentary is a slightly more sensitive side to him. But I wonder, was there anything else that surprised you about uh, what you learned from researching the piece? Yeah, it was. I mean, it was a surprise, but it was also something I, I really loved was the fact that he would still take on these, these commissions, this work, um, commercial work, right up until the, the mid 60s. It basically, you know, he would still do these illustrations, editorial illustrations to, to, to bankroll what he was doing, the more avant-garde stuff he was doing with, with pop art and so on. And um, he's always been about the work. It's just, you know, like all great creatives or, you know, whether they're, they're artists, whether they're working in ad industry, whatever it is, it's get your work out there. You're, you're all about the work. And I think later on in his career, things like the, he, he would sort of take on, sort of do screen prints of socialites or he would do stuff for, for sort of big corporations. And that got sneered at quite a lot, but, it was work for him and it meant he just carried on working and it paid for other stuff. And I thought that was, that was fascinating. It was quite pleasing in a way, you know, he wasn't, he didn't want to be the starving artist. He was quite successful as an illustrator originally in the fifties. He could have just carried on. He would have made quite a nice living for himself, but he wanted to sort of get the work out there and work and work and work. Um, and there's a real power and a strength to that, I think. And, and again, that's something you don't necessarily associate with war. Yeah. So, I mean, it, just picking up on what you said there. So it is interesting that you're saying, you know, he learned that you had to basically make a living so that you could also be experimental, maybe in, in, in you know, the more artistic side to things that you want to do. So is there, I don't know, one takeaway that you think uh, for any Adlan creatives that they could um, have from reading this piece that's inspiring about Warhol and what he did or how he worked? Yeah, I think I think the most in- inspiring thing about him that, that sort of tallies with our industry really is is this idea of the factory which was his studio in in, in the 60s and into the 70s and 80s um but working as a creative hub so you bring all these people together from different backgrounds with different skill sets with different ideas you chuck them in a room you don't necessarily have to involve drugs but sometimes you know i, I guess it was the 60s so that helped but you, you see what they can come up with what they can create and it's interesting you know i've spoken to agency people a lot in in recent months and I guess because we're in a post-lockdown, fingers crossed, we're in a post-lockdown age at the moment, um, there is this idea of coming together, bouncing ideas around, of being a hub like that. And I, and I think it's very sort of pertinent, this idea of, uh, of the factory and just bringing people together in real life and, and seeing what happens. 
Feels like a bygone era, but um, hopefully, yeah, still snippets of that can still be brought into the current day. So um, thanks so much for talking us through all that. It's been really interesting to hear. I can tell you probably really enjoyed writing it. And that feature is going to be online on Monday, so you can catch it there on the campaign website. Just a reminder that Campaign's magazine content is available exclusively for subscribers. So visit campaignlive.co.uk forward slash membership if you're not yet a subscriber. Thanks also to Shauna and Jamie for joining the podcast today. It was great discussing all that's been going on at Cannes with you. And to make sure you don't miss out on other campaign podcast episodes, please follow us. A final thanks goes to our producer, Aidan Lyons from Rethink Audio. And also thanks to you for listening, whether that be in Cannes or any other equally glamorous location. Goodbye. Goodbye.